I don't want to meet my maker tripping in the bathtub, and I certainly don't want to meet my maker getting killed over a cartoon. Welcome to You Are the Guest, a weekly show where you can be the guest and tell people what you and your friends and neighbors think about news events and issues of the day. It's part talk show, part opinion poll, part reality show, and a whole lot of fun. And it's completely dependent upon your participation as a guest. To be considered as a guest for a future show, check out the website at www.youaretheguest.com for details. Now here's your program host, Bill Grady. Greetings from the great city of Fort Dodge, Iowa, and welcome to show number 32 of You Are the Guest, the show where we talk to everyday people just like you and me about their lives and about the issues of the day. Our guest today is all the way from Portland, Oregon. Monique, welcome to You Are the Guest. Well, thank you, Bill. It's great to be on your show. I'm a huge fan. I even subscribe to it, listen to it on my iPod. Thank you. How did you find out about the show? I was doing a web search on podcasting because I have podcast dreams just like you. And um, I was just doing some background research and came across your show. I was in a hotel room in Columbia, South Carolina, actually, and uh, was up really late at night and found it and started listening to it and thought it was pretty cool. Well, thank you. You're welcome. Can you tell our audience about yourself? Because you have a very interesting background and live a very interesting life. Sure. I live in the Portland, Oregon area, specifically in Beaverton, which is on the west side in the suburbs. I am doing a couple of different things, and people might think that I'm absolutely insane. But in addition to working at Intel, I'm a marketing manager at the company. been here nine plus, almost nine years. It'll be nine years in April. And um, I am uh, working in our corporate diversity organization. Uh, but I also am an entrepreneur. I am a restaurant owner, and the restaurant is called Dessert Noir Cafe and Bar, which is located in Beaverton, Oregon, at a shopping center called Cedar Hills Crossing. I have this theory about my guests. Nobody is from where they are except for me. So are you from Portland, Oregon? <laughs> Absolutely not, actually. <laughs> I'm originally from New York City, and I split my childhood between New York City and Columbia, South Carolina. And um, I went to college at the University of Maryland, College Park, and then I uh, went from there to Cleveland, Ohio, where I went to graduate school to get my MBA from Case Western Reserve University. And um, I came out to Portland in 1994 after I got my MBA, and I took a job with a company called Tektronics. And I worked for them for three years, and then I came to Intel after that. So what's the change like being from East Coast, growing up over there, coming out all the way to the left coast? <laughs> the left coast. The East Coast and West Coast are two completely different animals. <laughs> and I can say that having lived in both habitats, so to speak. Uh, I, there are a lot of things, Bill, that I miss about the East Coast. Um, the sense of urgency that people have on the East Coast is something that I miss all the time. The, the West Coast, for, for better or for worse, is a little more laid back. Um, and there's definitely that pioneer spirit out here in the West. Uh, people are pretty much doing their own thing, kind of minding their own business, and really don't want to be bothered a whole heck of a lot. <laughs> Whereas on the East Coast, you know, there's there's that hustle and bustle and, and lots of you know, different people from different places, lots of diversity, lots of 
you know, just uh, things to do, a culture of going out and hanging out and, uh, you know, just, you know, just really, you know, really more close-knit and, and a little more cosmopolitan, I guess, for lack of a better term, than, than uh, you find on the West Coast. Not that the West Coast doesn't have all that stuff, but it's just a different vibe. It's a very different vibe out West. And it takes some getting used to when you're from the East Coast. I'm convinced that I'm the only person in the entire state of Oregon who uses my horn. <laughs> and do you use your middle finger? <laughs> I try not to use my middle finger, but I certainly am shouting a lot in my car. <laughs> and that's how they know you're from New York City. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Let's talk about your job a little bit, because you work in corporate diversity. Yes. What is corporate diversity? The corporate diversity program at Intel is a collection, if you will, of initiatives that we have to position the company as a high technology leader in the diversity space. And that really relates to creating an environment at the company that is inclusive, that is embracive of people from all walks of life, all backgrounds, all capabilities, and, um, and focusing on hiring, retaining, and developing that talent so that we continue to be a technology leader in the industry. If your job didn't exist, would that get done? You would like to think that down the road that the diversity strategy would just be part of the normal everyday fabric of the corporate strategy. With that said, at this point in time, I don't think that there are any companies that wouldn't be addressing their corporate diversity initiatives and programs in a way that isn't uh, a concerted effort to get something done in this space because you really have to have some focus on it and you really have to have the commitment behind it. We're not there yet. We're, we're not there uh, in terms of anybody in the industry having corporate diversity initiatives that are just second nature. It, it is something that you have to kind of put the pressure on and, and constantly have to give people the reason and the tie to the overall business objectives in order to get people to understand that this is the right thing for the company to do and it ultimately does have an impact on our success. Is it easy or is it hard to find good young talent? <laughs> well, in the high technology industry in particular, it's getting harder and harder because the pipeline is getting smaller and smaller. And there are a lot of news reports that you hear, a lot of industry studies that people have done. The president just talked about it in his State of the Union last week that we really have to have a focus on research and development in this country in order to remain competitive in our industries. And that means that we have to have really good science, technology, engineering, and math programs. And um, we just do not have enough students who are choosing those paths, those technical career type of paths, in order to fill our pipeline. And that's something that we, you know, not only Intel, but the, the industry at large is struggling with. You know, how do we get kids in middle school to think that science is cool? <laughs> it's really tough. 
But this is a generation that is really technological based. I mean, they grew up on technology. So if you've got a generation that is raised by technology, how do they not pick technology careers? Well, I think it's a, there's a couple of, of things that are driving that. One, technology has become so ubiquitous in our lives, Bill, that people take it for granted that it's just going to work. <laughs> you know, you pick up your telephone, you don't expect that there's not going to be a dial tone on the other end. You boot, boot up your uh, PC, you don't expect that it's just not going to work. You pick up your remote control, you hit the power button, that TV is coming on. So I think that, you know, technology has gotten to the point in our lives where it has become almost utilitarian as opposed to something that is, you know, all that, you know, sort of fascinating, if you will, to a lot of people because it is just becoming part of our everyday lives. What I think is happening with young people is that there are, there are other careers, there are other paths that, are, that may be, you know, more desirable, more glamorous, you know, uh, more uh, desirable in terms of, you know, where they want to take their, their lives that they don't necessarily see themselves as an engineer or as a scientist or as a mathematician. So what careers that's are... that's not, quote-unquote, cool. So what careers are you competing up against? What are the cool careers? Well, the, the cool careers these days, I mean, all you have to do is sort of take a look at, at television and see what's getting promoted, right? You know, it's, it's the... Uh, Club owner. Crime scene investigators of the world and, you know, people who are... Um, you know, in, in Hollywood who are, you know, actors and actresses and people who are, you know, doing uh, a lot of, you know, humanitarian kinds of things and liberal arts kinds of stuff. And, you know, it's, it, we're just not positioning uh, engineering and science as, you know, being ultimately very cool. But still, there are a lot of people out there who want to be in business, who want to be lawyers, who want to be doctors, <laughs> you know. Are you seeing that the college graduates that are coming out of school do they have enough of the right equipment to get the job done, or are they being left behind with some of their higher education? I think that we are seeing really good talent coming out of colleges and universities. I really do. I think where the gaps are are in secondary and elementary education. I think that we've got a lot of teachers who are, are uh, positioned in math and science, for example, who are not necessarily qualified to be teaching those courses. We've got guidance counselors who are steering children away from technology-focused kinds of uh, curriculum. Uh, we've got you know, parents who are not necessarily that savvy themselves about you know, science and engineering and technology, so they don't push it. So I, mean, I think it's you know, before the, this kind of decision happens in your mind, you know, well before you get to college. I think by the time you get to college and you've chosen that you want to be in a particular career path and a particular field of study, you know, you generally, if you're motivated, you're going to do what you need to do in order to make sure that you've got the skills to pay the bills. But um, it's those early days, those formative years, where we really need to focus on influencing minds. Okay, here's, here's another question going back to diversity. Okay. Does diversity also mean equality? Diversity and equality are not necessarily the same terms or don't necessarily mean the same thing. And what's the difference? 
And the way that I look at diversity is in diversity of ideas, diversity of thought, diversity of, of people's ideas and perspectives on things. There's also the, the classic definitions, if you will, of diversity that relate to race, gender, sexual orientation, et cetera. But in terms of how we manage and how we continue to innovate in the industry, having a talent pool of employees who come from different backgrounds, who have different perspectives, and who can encourage the company to continue to move forward and be innovative is what we're after. If we all were the same, if we all came from the same schools, if we all came from the same neighborhoods, if we all came from the same backgrounds, this would not be a very interesting place to be. And I don't think we would be nearly as innovative and we would not be, you know, a 35 plus billion dollar company. So how does Intel integrate itself into the rest of the world? Because if we're an American company, the rest of the world doesn't see products and services like Americans do. Sure. And that is something that we totally acknowledge in the research and development that we do to support our business and our products. We do things like uh, send ethnographic researchers to India to understand how people in Bangalore use their PCs. And we find out some very interesting uh, findings because guess what? People in Bangalore don't necessarily use their PCs like we do in the United States where there's you know, a, a constant source of electricity and uh, different living conditions and, and different um, business conditions, et cetera. So, yeah, we, we find ways to deliver our technology that is specific to the market and specific to the customer so that he or she can reap the benefit of you know, our Intel technology leadership. Are there some groups that have it easier than others and some that have it harder than others? Yeah, I think that depending on the situation and depending on the company, depending on the industry, that you may or may not have the same experiences or the same you know, level of difficulty with certain uh, aspects of dealing with uh, being an underrepresented minority or being a female or being, um, you know, from another country. I think that there's a perception that, you know, white guys, quote unquote, have it better than everybody else because they've been kind of entitled uh, to the rewards of the system and that the rest of us have just been trying to, you know, get ahead as, as much as we can and we have to work harder and we have to prove ourselves, you know, twice as much and, and, do whatever it takes to, to try to, to get ahead. So, I mean, is it, I, I don't know, I'm the kind of person that I don't really let a lot of that stuff get to me. I just do what I need to do and just keep on moving forward, and whoever's in the way just has to get out of the way. <laughs> Good for you. <laughs> they have to get out of the way and they have to get over it. I was told this by Human Resources person a long time ago and i wanted to ask your opinion to see whether you agree or disagree with it agree or disagree young white males in corporate positions have no rights i disagree with that i think in order for you to have a, a robust conversation and um dialogue if you will around these issues that relate to inclusion that relate to respect and trust and honesty of your workforce. 
and making sure that people are contributing at the right level and that people are feeling like their contributions are valued and that they're getting rewarded, you have to include white men as part of your stakeholder set in order to make sure that they are on board with what you're trying to do. You can't alienate those guys. It's not like they don't have any rights. They have every right to be at the table just like everybody else. I think their meaning was that if you're young, white, and male, they can basically fire you for any reason at any time and not get any flack about it. Oh, no, I don't think that that's true at all. In a company that has a lot of integrity and that stands by its corporate business principles, that would not happen. That shouldn't be happening. It, I don't, no way. <laughs> I beg to differ with that. Good for you. <laughs> any thoughts on the cartoon fiasco that's going on over the Middle East? Bill, this is distressing to me. To think, For people to get that emotionally involved in a cartoon depiction of a religious figure, for it to spark that kind of violence and to spark that kind of controversy just is absolutely amazing to me. I don't understand why people get so caught up in things that you really can't quantify or really have, you know, any basis in something reasonable or rational to, to go back to justify that kind of behavior. I mean, it just doesn't make any sense to me. <laughs> but they're taking on the Western world, and the Western world just isn't America. Exactly. You know, America is just one country in the Western world. The other thing that, that just blows me away is... People are dying. Yeah, that's exactly over this. Yeah, people are dying. <laughs> that's a, people are dying. Why are people dying over this? There are not that there are better things to die about, but I guess you know there are better things to actually put your life on the line for than somebody's interpretation of, you know, the Prophet Muhammad and what that means or whatever the person was trying to depict. I mean, there's, there's just better things to talk about, better things to get angry about, better things to die about. I don't want to meet my maker tripping in the bathtub, and I certainly don't want to meet my maker getting killed over a cartoon. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> oh, man. I know. It's, it's, it's I don't know. It, it, it really is distressing that it's gotten to that point where, you know, every conflict... In, in humankind can be rooted, the root cause is religion of some form or another, <laughs> you know? And for something that is really based on, on what people just believe, you know, a lot of this violence is happening in the name of religion. And it's like, but isn't this religion supposed to be peaceful? <laughs> isn't this supposed to be embracing? What are you people doing? Yeah, where does the love in the religion work in? Yeah, exactly. Where is the love? Come on, people, show me the love. We will. Um, uh, five bombs at a time. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. So, What's the big local news story of the week in Portland? Well, in Portland, I haven't been in Portland in the last several days. So before I left, uh, there was a lot of discussion about uh, some political races that are starting to heat up. We've got, you know, the congressional races uh, that are starting to uh, get onto the radar screen. Uh, the president's State of the Union uh, was a big story in Oregon. 
uh, as it related to you know his budget priorities because uh, you know there there are a lot of uh, implications for our state and then also in, in Oregon there's always a constant um, undercurrent if you will about money and about budgets because we're one of the few states uh, that don't have a sales tax and uh, and and anytime it comes up for ballot man let me tell you it gets voted down every single time <laughs> so how are property taxes do they make it up in that way yeah property taxes are pretty high as are state income taxes you know we we actually pay a pretty fair amount of money in state income taxes so yeah they find their money the <laughs> they find their money that's for sure but because because we don't have you know that that kind of tax on consumption you know it's it's really tough when um you know, you're trying to balance your budgets to, you know, use just kind of fixed revenue sources, uh, you know, every time you try to, you know, look for, for more money. Do you see it coming down the line? No, never. I've been in Oregon for almost 12 years, and I believe that we have had this debate, I certainly ever since I've been in Oregon, and I know it's been proposed to be put to the voters you know, for a couple of times, and it just never even makes it because people are so dead set against it. Here are the final five questions. You own a restaurant, so as being the restaurant tour, what's your favorite dish to eat at your restaurant? Well, Dessert Noir Cafe and Bar, as you might imagine from the name, uh, is focused on dessert, but we also have a full menu of small plates and appetizers and entrees and that kind of stuff. We also have a full bar, and we have uh, desserts and uh, small gifts and wine and that kind of stuff to go. So my favorite dish at the restaurant these days is a pasta dish called Whiskey Smoked Salmon. Linguine. Ooh, tell me about that. Oh, it's this decadent thing. <laughs> It's a linguine that is covered or smothered in a, a whiskey cream sauce and smoked salmon throughout. It's fantastic. My chef, Ian Farquhar, is uh, brilliant when it comes to uh, putting flavors together, and this is one of my favorites. Do you do mail-out to Fort Dodge, Iowa? <laughs> What's that? Do you do mail-out instead of carry-out? Oh, yeah, and if you want to place an order and pay for the shipping, I'd be happy to send it out to Fort Dodge. <laughs> no guarantees on whether it would be hot or not. Yeah, right. <laughs> How do you wind down from your job? Which one? <laughs> I am constantly burning the candle at both ends. I, um, I stay up really late at night. I'm up fairly early in the morning. And um, I split my time, you know, between Intel and the business. And um, so when I do get some time to unwind, I like to be in a spa. I like to be on a massage table, having somebody work my muscles until I can't feel them anymore. <laughs> and, um, and I like to, uh, you know, have the uh, relaxation services that, you know, most of my girlfriends out there who are listening can relate to. Get, get a facial, <laughs> you know, get a wrap, get a scrub, get a steam. <laughs> you go, girl. Oh, yeah. I, I do love the spa. I don't get there as much as I'd like to because I'm so busy. And then also a lot of my money is consumed in my business. So got to make the sacrifice. No, that's what it's all about. 
What's the most unique problem or request that you've had to solve at your job? During my career, when I was working at Tektronix and uh, into working at Intel currently, I travel around the world, and I've been to several different places in Europe, Asia, uh, the Middle East, etc. And um, one time when I was out in China, I was in Beijing, and I actually got the opportunity to stay over a weekend. And I got paired up with a, a young lady who was going to be my tour guide to take me out to a couple of different places, you know, to kind of do some sightseeing around Beijing. And we went to the Forbidden City um, and the Summer Palace and a few other places. And when we were at the Summer Palace, I was uh, standing in front of one of the structures and reading one of the signs that uh, gave a little bit better description of, you know, the history of the structure and kind of what was going on. And, and she had gotten... Uh, tapped by a, a, a Chinese gentleman who wanted to talk to her, and I didn't pay it any attention. And so she came over to me after she was having the conversation with him and said that this guy wanted to take a picture with me. And so <laughs> I was like, okay, great, you know, no problem. So I, I eased into his picture, and he gave me the signal to put my arm around him as if I were his best friend <laughs> on the planet. And so I put my arm around him, and, um, and he was just really happy and just really, you know, just so grateful that I embraced him in this picture. And I just kept thinking to myself, man, I hope that this picture doesn't get plastered all over China somewhere, <laughs> that somebody, you know, recognizes me or something. And then also the other thing was, um, you know, being, being a black woman traveling throughout Asia, particularly in China, I get a lot of people, you know, who come up to me and ask me questions <laughs> and who um, want to know where I'm from. And I mean, it's just a fascinating thing. For it, it's, they, they just have no fear in coming up and, and, you know, reaching out that way. And I thought that that was kind of, kind of unique. What is a day in the life of a well-paid vice president like? Well, one of my jobs at Intel was to actually be what's called a technical assistant. And that means being the chief of staff, speech writer, and special projects manager for an Intel executive. And I did that for about two and a half years with um, an executive here who um, was running one of our major businesses and eventually uh, became the chief technology officer of the company. And so um, what's interesting about the executive lifestyle is that there really is no distinction between personal and business. It all just blurs together. So in terms of a typical day, it's really hard to describe. It starts really early. There are a lot of meetings. There are a lot of decisions that have to be made. There are a lot of requests. There are a lot of um, issues that need to be resolved, a lot of people who need to be stroked, a lot of people who need to be uh, directed, and, um, and a lot of projects that just need to get done. There's also just a huge amount of um, management that has to happen with uh, an executive's calendar, his staff. Um, it, you know, like I said, there isn't much distinction between what's personal and what's not, and you, know, you get some insight into you know, how, how these guys operate and what makes them tick. And then also you, you get some insight into, you know, where their aspirations are, right, and, and how, you know, they got to where they are and, and how hard they have to work in order to get to that level of the company. So it was a fascinating, you know, two-and-a-half-year stint that I had doing that. It was probably, 
you know, next to the job that I have right now, being the external marketing manager for corporate diversity at the company, uh, being a technical assistant was my favorite job. And the final question, what do you envision your retirement will be like? What retirement? <laughs> you know, it's funny, I joke around with my friends that, you know, I am on a parallel path to divorce court or bankruptcy court. I just don't know which one I'm going to get to first. <laughs> Um, my retirement will probably not be a retirement at all. I am classic type A. I have got to be moving. I have got to be grooving. There's got to be something that I'm involved with, that I'm doing, that I'm, you know, making happen, that I'm making happen for myself or making happen for other people. You know, I have to be productive. I just cannot imagine sort of checking out and sitting at a beach and having, you know, beautiful young guys bring me umbrella drinks. That's just not my idea of fun. You know, I, I need to be doing something that's uh, going to add some value to somebody's life, <laughs> including my own. Maybe you'll do podcasting. Maybe. You know, I do have podcast dreams, I'm telling you. One of these days, I am going to do my podcast. I used to have a television show. Uh, I did a, a cable talk show on, on Access a few years ago. And think of it as like Oprah with no celebrities. I did cool interviews with people who were doing interesting things, news you can use. I had live music. People came on and danced on my show, and we talked about all kinds of issues of the day. It wasn't unlike You Are the Guest in a lot of ways. And so um, I've been thinking for the last several months that I've been wanting to kind of parlay that TV experience into my own podcast and, and kind of resurrect that, if you will. But I'm just so busy already, I don't know where I'm going to find another three, four, five hours to devote to that. So I'm trying to find it, though. I've, I've got my first podcast scripted out. I know what I want to cover. i just got to get it done. <laughs> well, here's a great segue, because it's time to Ask Bill 3. This is where I'm going to give the microphone over to you. Sure. And you get to ask me three questions about anything. So here's your chance to start off your own show. Okay, well... Here is my first question for you, Bill. If someone said, hey, you are banned from living in the United States, you cannot live here any longer, where on earth would you go? Cayman Islands. <laughs> Why the Caymans? Oh, have you ever been to the Cayman Islands? No, I haven't. That's one place on earth I have not been is the Caribbean, actually. It is the most beautiful place on the, on the planet. It's bathwater clear water it is sunshine and the perfect humidity and i think i've said this on the show a, a few times that i would not hesitate to go back to the cayman islands but uh, then again you know, always got the hurricane deal so yeah. it's like okay bath water and great temperatures versus um risking your life in a hurricane so maybe maybe second would be canada because it's kind of like the United States with maybe not so good health care? I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> okay, my second question for you is, what was the first rock concert you went to? Oh, it was 1980, and it was the Cars. No way, the Cars? The Cars. Martha Davis and the Motels was the opening act. Oh, my God, that is do, do, do you want to hear my story? Please do. They were at the Unidome in Cedar Falls. The cars were going to be there. And it was right after they had released Panorama. So they're doing their Panorama 
album tour. Right. And Martha Davis and the Motels, we were playing them at the college radio station. And Martha Davis comes out and she sings about four or five tunes. And all of a sudden, somebody throws a beer bottle and hits her right in the head. And they threw the instruments down. The guy comes out. One of the, ba- I think it was the bass player, says, "That's chicken shit to throw a beer bottle at a chick." <laughs> and like, if you guys don't settle down here in Iowa, we're not gonna come out. Oh my gosh! Mayhem ensues in Iowa. That's right. And so, luckily, you know, they they got the jerk who threw the bottle. And I agree with them. That's chicken shit. But yeah, it is. But that was that was my first concert. Was the Cars and Martha Davis and the Motels. Wow. My last question for you is: What is your favorite breakfast cereal? Captain Crunch. No way. Way. Why Captain Crunch? I like the sugar. I can't get. I'm a sugar holic. I I like Mountain Dew. Oh, Mountain Dew is fabulous. I drink Diet Mountain Dew though. That's oh odd sugar. No, the, you can't. You can't do the unleaded stuff. You got to do the regular stuff. And and but for me, it's kind of like I, I need the sugar. I like the caffeine, and I'm willing to have my workout go an extra half hour just so I can drink the regular Mountain Dew. Yeah, see, I'm just the opposite. <laughs> I really don't have that extra half an hour to do that. Yeah, you know, on the treadmill or in my kickboxing class or on the bas- basketball court, I, I need to drink diet so that I don't have to worry about it. <laughs> So what's your favorite breakfast cereal, and why do you like it? Well, my favorite breakfast cereal, when I eat breakfast, that's another story, but um, I really like honey bunches of oats. Ooh, I've had that. Aren't they awesome? Yeah. Little oat clusters with the flakes, and oh, yeah, and add a little grape nuts to it, you've got a meal. And if you're having a really bad day, a little bit of scotch don't hurt either. Yeah, tell me about it. (laughs) I almost asked you about your favorite cocktail. (laughs) Go ahead. I'll give you a bonus question. Yeah, bonus question. What is your favorite cocktail? Bourbon straight up. Bourbon straight up. Hey, I just actually started drinking whiskey sours. Really? Yeah, I tried one because uh, there's a, a very good friend of mine who uh, works with my husband at Tektronix who uh, comes to my restaurant a lot, and he's one of our regulars at the bar, and his drink is whiskey sour. I think at the Cars concert I was drinking Southern Comfort straight up. That was 1980. <laughs> that was the 1980s, as I remember it. The cars in Southern Comfort, straight up. Yeah. And on that note... <laughs> and on that note, Monique, why don't you tell a little bit about your restaurant, and also you've got a charity event coming up, too. Yes, I do. I am going to be one of the presenting sponsors, along with the shopping center where my restaurant is located. It's called Cedar Hills Crossing. We are doing an event called Stand Up for Community Action. Community Action Organization is a nonprofit that supports low-income families in Washington County, Oregon. And we are bringing in actor and comedian Sinbad to be the MC and host of the event. It's happening on Thursday, February 16th at 3 o'clock Pacific time. And Sinbad is going to perform live uh, at the shopping center and it'll be for free. He's doing comedy for the kids, which is gonna be an after-school event. And then later in the evening, he's gonna do a private VIP fundraising dinner event at my restaurant. So how did you get him involved? 
Well, he actually is a friend of mine, and he's doing me a huge favor. <laughs> really, I um, just asked him if I could work with him to draw some publicity to my restaurant and to support a good cause, and he was right there to do it for me. I, I'm very grateful that he is that confident in my ability to actually pull this off and get it done. <laughs> Isn't it great to have high-powered friends in high places? Yeah, exactly. No, he's been fabulous, and um, I'm, I'm really, like I said, absolutely grateful that you know he is taking the time to support this event. He's waived his appearance fee, and he's coming to Portland specifically for this. He doesn't have anything else going on in, in Portland except to come for this event. Well, I hope as a friend he waives the appearance fee. <laughs> said, yeah, I'll do it, uh, but on double time. Yeah. <laughs> now, it's all for a great cause. This is an amazing organization that does fantastic work in the community. They uh, help people with uh, job assistance. They have um, weatherization programs, energy assistance, um, you know, emergency services, homeless uh, shelters, uh, child care, you name it. I mean, these guys are just fantastic community action organizations. Monique, thank you so much for being a guest on You Are the Guest. Good luck with your event, and also good luck with the restaurant. Well, thank you very much. I appreciate that. Uh, looks like I have run out of time, huh? i got to go catch my plane. That's right. We'll get you on that plane. <laughs> yeah, definitely. Up next, a double shot of Road Trip, up after the break. Hi, this is John Bischke from LearnOutloud.com, where people go to enrich their lives and become better at things that are really important to them. One of our titles that I'd like to recommend to you is Bill Grady's audio seminar titled How You Can Create Advertising That Really Works. It's a very common sense approach to answering all the questions that many small business owners have when it comes to doing advertising effectively and efficiently. And the best part about Bill's audio seminar is that it comes with a money-back guarantee. For more information on Bill Grady's How You Can Create Advertising That Really Works, Go to learnoutloud.com forward slash Bill Grady. Learnoutloud.com, changing the way the world learns. Hot Show secures $8.5 million in funding. Investors put audio on the map today. Fox TV launches podcast programming. Yeah. Hey, wait a minute. Isn't podcasting supposed to be about the little guy with a laptop and a mic? Yeah, things are changing all right. The big boys are moving in and turning podcasting into a strip mall. But there's still one place you can go to find the coolest, the funniest, and the best independent podcasts around. Really? Where? Yeah. The Podcast Outlaws Network at podcastoutlaws.com has you covered. When you sign up for the Outlaws feed, you'll get sample episodes of great shows you've never heard of, delivered fresh to your computer or MP3 player. No corporate posers, no hype, just great podcasts. Who are the Outlaws? The Outlaws are podcasters themselves. They're passionate about finding and sharing the best shows. What's it cost? Don't the Outlaws have some venture capitalists to pay off? Venture Capital. We don't need no stinking Venture Capital. It's free to listen, free to submit your show. Just go to podcastoutlaws.com. Podcast Outlaws. This ain't your podfather's network, punk. 
Don't forget that you can listen to the show every day at Coolcast Radio. And of course, we always appreciate your subscriptions at iTunes and Yahoo Podcast. That concludes this week's edition of You Are the Guest from the great city of Fort Dodge, Iowa. I'm Bill Grady. Thanks for listening. Got a little till I want to tell it. Happens all the time now. Really thought the thing would go my way, but I bet against it all. Something about the way the summer comes in, it's that smooth sunshine. Let me tell you, if I had a friend, I'd never give her
Music provided from the Podsafe Music Network. Check it out at music.podshow.com.